From foundry to fandom. It's just a miracle. The Norfolk and Western Class J number 611 steam engine has become an icon for Roanoke and beyond. So it's really the most modern steam locomotive in the world. The spirit of Roanoke recently rode the rails once again, hearkening back to its early days in the passenger rail business. It looks like we went back in time here. It's just, it's just beautiful. In this episode of Hometown Stories, a look into the 611's past, her rise to fame, and what adventures remain for the little engine that could and still can. It's so special, and it's an icon, and, and anybody that knows that wants to see it succeed. It's a sunny and quickly warming day in the small town of Goshen, Virginia. In a field behind quiet Main Street, you'll find railroad tracks and a makeshift gravel parking lot where hundreds of people are ready to embark on a trip many of them say they'll never forget. Nestled in this mountainous cradle of green foliage on the verge of changing colors sits a piece of yesteryear. The Norfolk and Western Class J number 611 steam locomotive is about to take a test run under steam over the Shenandoah Valley. The engine, already steaming, looks like it's almost breathing. The 611's look has become iconic, featuring a bullet-styled Art Deco nose, all black, with a signature maroon stripe down her side. Her crew members are seated in the cab, ready for the ride. Good morning. Hello. Volunteer crew members greet us as we board refurbished historic rail cars, and soon our journey begins. On this day, I'm riding along with a group of about 400 people who were invited to take part in a special test run of the locomotive from Goshen to Stanton and back, about a three-hour round trip. This ahead-of-a-limited-run excursion planned during the peak of fall foliage over the course of a few weekends. The first leg of the journey is completely under steam, meaning nothing but the engine's own power is bringing it and these passenger cars past bucolic countryside scenes. And at just about every railroad crossing, looking out the windows, you can see people waving, taking pictures, leaning out of car windows or with babies on hips, gazing in awe as the queen of steam and her precious cargo roll past. In the next car over, I meet a friendly family of six from Spotsylvania County. Buckingham Branch Railroad is one of our member railroads. And so they reached, they reached out and said, hey, we're doing this inaugural run. Um, do you want to ride on the train? And I said, absolutely. Mom Sarah works for the American Short Line and Regional Railroad Association. Her daughter Elizabeth is amused by the private room they're able to share. It's like the only, it's one of, it might be one of the only rooms that like doesn't have a table and you just have like chairs like sitting across from each other. That's like a couch mm-hmm. that can fold into a bed. As she snacks on a bag of Cheetos, she keeps a copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone at her side. Because this special excursion is definitely giving Harry Potter vibes. It's kind of like the when they like hop into the ho- the train to get to Hogwarts. Her brother Jonathan is equally enamored, mostly with the nostalgic effect. Like something out of, straight out of Disney World. It's just amazing, and it gives me such. It gives me a. It looks like we went back in time here. It's just 
it's just beautiful. The journey to get here is far longer than the ride from the engine's usual home at the Virginia Museum of Transportation, located in the heart of downtown Roanoke. Because the community's love for and fascination with this machine really began more than 70 years ago. And 611 to this day is the most modern steam locomotive in the world. Well, I mean, you're proud of that stuff. And you go, my goodness, my neighbors made that. I think it's just part of Roanoke. It's, it's like the star, except it started earlier than the star. This is Bev Fitzpatrick, former director of the Virginia Museum of Transportation. The star he's talking about is another icon of Roanoke, a giant illuminated star atop Mill Mountain that overlooks the city he calls home. What would you like your title to be? <laughs> Retired. Retired and loving it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, um, and my whole life has been about Roanoke, and Roanoke is kind of like a hobby. Fitzpatrick was born and raised in Roanoke and has been an active community member his whole life. In fact, he joined the board of the Transportation Museum when he was just 15. And of course, I was overjoyed. Um, and it meant that I got out of class at Patrick Henry High School. He grew up with the railroad and with the 611, understanding what the locomotive did and what it stands for. What do you think it is about trains, and the 611 in particular, that just draws people in? Well, to me, uh, I think it's an emotional connection. It's what family did and uncles did. Um, unfortunately, aunts couldn't, you know, be in the shops at that time. But the, the big picture was everything was built around either the American Viscose Company, which is now the Roanoke Industrial Center, or the Norfolk and Western. So you, whether you like trains or not, you heard about them all the time. To understand the 611, you have to understand the role of the rails in this mountain community. According to city history, Roanoke, or Big Lick as the town was previously known, became a crossroads for railroads in the 1880s. The town of Roanoke was created in 1882, at the same time as the completion of the Shenandoah Valley Railroad from Maryland to its junction with the newly formed Norfolk and Western. From there, the small town's growth exploded, lending it the nickname of the Magic City for this rapid expansion. Rail reigned in this town, and the Norfolk and Western Railway made its headquarters in Roanoke. You know, everything in Roanoke, the Norfolk and Western, sponsored things. They had floats and parades. Families were involved in every possible way. And so I think it was almost like Roanoke was the Norfolk and Western. It was in the late 1940s and early 1950s that Norfolk and Western developed these Class J passenger locomotives. They made 14 of them. These were trains designed to pick up speed in the Virginia flatlands while still managing the Blue Ridge Mountains en route to Cincinnati. 611 made her debut on May 29, 1950, with a nearly 500,000-pound engine, standing 16 feet high, and stretching more than 100 feet long, coal tender included. Its wheels alone are over five feet tall. In her heyday, she was said to have been pushed to nearly 100 miles an hour. 611 represents the pinnacle of steam technology from that era. Uh, 1950s incorporated all the latest and greatest technology of the day. So it's really the most modern steam locomotive in the world. Scott Lindsay is chief mechanical officer of the 611 and knows this machine inside and out. 
It's been a part of his life for the last 42 years. So that's why he's confident in calling it the Taylor Swift of steam engines. We just came back from two years at Strasburg Railroad in Pennsylvania. Huge success up there, drawing out of the, the Northeast, the population base. Uh, every time it ran, it's a, it's a rock star. The platform is packed. And a big part of the straw is that same craftsmanship of the Norfolk and Western crew members who designed, built, and maintained the engine right in Roanoke's East End shops. Very, very few locomotives incorporated the roller bearing rod, which uh, required less maintenance. They could run from Norfolk to Cincinnati without any grease or oil. Uh, it was a high mileage locomotive meant for its annual repair cycle shoppings, but not constantly nickel and dime repairs very reliable, uh, so reliable that they could get to the other end of the railroad and within 90 minutes or less have them turned around, coal, water, lube, sand, all the things that it needed and ready to come back to the where it started. These types of locomotives, the Jays, averaged 15,000 miles a month. When 611 was retired, it had a little over a million miles logged. And some of its sisters filed more than 3 million miles before retirement. 611 at 40 miles an hour has 5,200 horsepower. Pretty, uh, pretty impressive. And you can actually feel it's always impressive that when you're, if, if you're up in the cab and you're not the engineer or the fireman and you're standing in the cab and you're leaving town, get out on the main line and clear to go, you can feel the floor come out from under you. It's a sensation that it never gets old. And I wish everybody could feel it, what real power is. Uh, race cars are fine, but they can beat us off the line, but we'll win in the long haul. <laughs> so for those of us who are not necessarily mechanically inclined, Lindsay explains how steam locomotion actually works. So inside the 611's massive engine is a boiler with 107 square feet of burning coal. And that, he says, is like setting your garage floor on fire and keeping it lit. Coal can't be shoveled by hand fast enough to feed that fire, so the fireman controls a lever to add coal. The intense heat boils water to a steam, and that steam pressure pushes a piston, enabling the wheels to move. The fireman balances pressure, water, and fire, and the engineer balances power and brake. And you can't have any or all of one thing. It's a constant. You have to be cognizant of all of it, all the time. We hold 35 tons of coal. And we carry uh, in the main tender 20,000 gallons of water. We carry a separate car with 25,000 gallons of water. In the 1950s, this was impressive stuff, as was the skill of the people who maintained the Jays, especially given the fact that 611 once wrecked. Historians with the museum say in January of 1953, the train derailed on the Tug River near Cedar, West Virginia. An analysis determined that a high rate of speed around a curve caused 611 to go airborne and slide down an embankment. Unfortunately, one of the engineers was killed, but no other casualties were reported. Crew members were able to return the 611 to service in just a few short days. Regular maintenance could be fulfilled by people in Roanoke who could build replacement parts, service, and supply the engine. Everybody could love 611. I think the blue-collar folks, and you know, about half of Southeast was railroad, the other half was viscose. But they had wonderful jobs, they had good salaries, they were strong neighborhoods, and they were proud. 
The American Viscose Corporation plant Fitzpatrick is talking about was at one point the largest producer of rayon in the world, with over 5,000 employees by about 1930. It and Norfolk and Western's operations were housed in the southeast quadrant of the city, making Roanoke City home to a robust blue-collar workforce. But then things started to change pretty dramatically. In 1958, the American Viscose plant closed. And around that same time, Norfolk and Western saw the writing on the wall. The rest of the rail industry was moving to diesel. They held on to steam longer than most other railroads before eventually making the transition. And Fitzpatrick said that ultimately led the railroad to lay off about 5,000 employees. 611 pulled her last steam passengers from Bluefield to Roanoke in October of 1959, and then she was retired. Fitzpatrick says both of these changes had economic repercussions, especially for the city's southeast neighborhood, which he says is still feeling those effects today. That was a strong middle class, you know, neighborhood, no matter where you were. And it's hard for me as a Roanoker to see where it is because there was so much pride early on. Cincinnati and vice versa. They usually started in Norfolk or Cincinnati about daybreak and they ran toward the other end and got to Norfolk or Cincinnati at the other end about early evening hours, same day. This is along the New River. They passed somewhere uh, along the New River. In a conference room at the Virginia Museum of Transportation, Colonel Lewis, or Bud Jeffries, a railroad historian and author, is giving a lecture on the 611's history. 14-year-old Carter Irvin has come in from Lynchburg with his mom to hear the presentation on the 611's design, history, and impact. I appreciate how like they streamlined it, and they, it took a lot of effort and stuff, and especially about how this is, it was all made in Roanoke, and they didn't, it was all just made here, and, and the appreciation that was shown just from a town making an engine altogether. Carter tells me railroading is part of his family history. He's been into trains since he was a kid, graduating from train toys to model railroading. I feel that it's a, this is a hobby that is very underrated. He frequently makes a pilgrimage to Roanoke's Transportation Museum to see the train engines and cars up close, with the 611 being a particular highlight. And today's trip is special because the 611 is back home in Roanoke for the first time in several years. So coming back to me means it's like a tradition, and I feel that like it shows my like appreciation and devotion towards coming back and looking at this, and it shows how I feel about it. So how did the 611 become an object of admiration and devotion after retirement? Well, for starters, it survived. Every single one of the Class J's fell victim to the scrap heap except for 611. Around 1962, the railroad donated 611 to the then city-owned Roanoke Transportation Museum, and that's where she remained for the next 20 years. You know, if you had to make a list and say, you know what, I gotta see this running, all right? 611's gotta be on that list. Bob Lettenberger is the associate editor at Trains Magazine, which bills itself as North America's leading train magazine for over 80 years. He says he was one of those kids with a Lionel train set at home, so going to work in the magazine was like hitting the jackpot. 
It's, I mean, it's, it's a dream come true. It's a pinch me. Is this reality? This means he's written about a lot of trains. So he reiterates that what set 611 apart was the attention to detail by Roenick's skilled designers, engineers, and craftsmen. When you go back to that time, every time a railroad came out with one of these new, fascinating, streamlined locomotives, it was, uh, it was an uplifting public event. When you look at the design and the, the lines and the color of, you know, 611 and her sisters, man, somebody got that right. <laughs> somebody, somebody got that right. It just exudes that, that Norfolk and Western class. Um, you know, you, you take that and you couple it with the fact that they, they got it right as far as having a powerful locomotive. And yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an incredible package. But even if you don't know the history, Lettenberger says there's something about the way 611 moves, the way it sounds, and the way that it takes on a life of its own that really draws people in. It's big. It's powerful. And when you see it or any steam locomotive go by, you can actually see what's happening. Okay? You can see the, the you know, the the motion of the rods and the pistons. You, you can see those big driving wheels turning. You can hear sound that varies with how the locomotive is working. If you have a good engineer on board, you have somebody who can not just blow the whistle, but can play it. You know, some of them have a bigger magnetism than others. Uh, and being a guy that loves steam locomotives, I'm not saying that there's anyone that's bad, but you know, you 611's coming down the tracks. Man, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be fighting through the crowd to you know to get a to get a good shot. And that's why, after 20 years at the museum, 611 got a makeover, a big one. In October of 1981, the man who would become the first chairman of the newly formed Norfolk Southern Railroad sent 611 to Alabama. Fitzpatrick says it's because of Robert Clater, who was a steam enthusiast, that the 611 is around today. While at the Norris Yard Steam Shop near Birmingham, the machine was completely restored inside and out over the course of a year. Scott Lindsay had been working on engines since 1977, and he became well acquainted with the Queen of Steam during the year-long project. The goldish color handle on the top there is your train brake, and the silvery one is your locomotive brake. So you start the train with the locomotive, but you stop the train with the train. You pull the train to a stop. Because if you didn't, the cars would all run into the locomotive and you'd spill all the martinis on the back end. <laughs> Can't have that. 611 returned home to the Virginia Museum of Transportation under its own power on August 22nd of 1982, just in time for Roanoke's centennial. From 1982 to 1994, the 611 ran excursions, delighting passengers with the taste of old-time rail experiences. And in that time, the Queen of Steam officially became a National Historic Mechanical Engineering landmark. But during that stretch, the 611 experienced another accident. In May of 1986, about 1,000 railroad employees and their families were riding behind the 611 on an excursion. 
While chugging through Virginia's Great Dismal Swamp, 14 of the 23 passenger cars derailed. 177 people were injured and 19 of them hospitalized. A crash investigation found problems with some rail inspection and repair processes as partly to blame. The cost of damage was estimated at more than $231,000. But the 611 story wasn't over. When the museum approached me, and I'd heard some not-so-great things about the condition, but I wasn't on the board or anything. And when I got there, I did not know they were basically out of money. So Bev Fitzpatrick learned how to uh, barter. In 2006, Bev Fitzpatrick was lured back to the Virginia Museum of Transportation, this time as its executive director. And when he got there, the museum wasn't doing well. As in, it was near bankruptcy, attendance was down, and by this time, 611 had been sitting there for a while. So Fitzpatrick got to work. Under his leadership, the museum was saved from near bankruptcy. Staff and attendance grew, as did the budget, and then came a very important decision. We had some friends that came to our aid, but more importantly, Wick Mormon became chairman of Norfolk Southern. And Wick came up one day and said, as the new chairman, I want to support five museums. And we were one of them. And so that was like a blessing. And he started giving us some operating money. And then he wanted to talk about 611. And I'll never forget going to the board. We were not out of financial trouble. When I had to go say, we have to decide today whether we're going to do 611 or not. And if I were a normal, logical thinking person, I would tell you, heck no. <laughs> you know, we're not in a financial shape to do anything. But this would be the worst decision we could ever make if we did not take a risk and work with the Norfolk Southern and others and try to put 611 back on the rails. And bless the board's heart, they said yes. What followed was an extensive fundraising campaign in 2013 called Fire Up 611. Donations poured in from all over the world. They raised close to $3 million to help restore the engine. It blew our minds. And the day we walked it, out of the museum. We had a gentleman from Japan that flew all the way over here to watch a diesel engine pull it out and was back the same day it came back into Roanoke running. You know, so you just don't think of people way away from Roanoke understanding the talent and the risk um, and the benefits that the Norfolk and Western you know, brought to bear when they were building these locomotives and, and had all these employees. Um, and so it turned into a dream come true that um, without Wick Mormon would have never happened. WDBJ7 archive footage shows thousands of people who lined the tracks when 611 made its way home. It came from the Transportation Museum in Spencer, North Carolina, where it had been restored, then up through Danville, over to Lynchburg, and back home to Roanoke, where more eager fans with cameras clamored for a view. I just have always had an interest in trains because I grew up as a child riding trains. It's for my son because he is such a train enthusiast, and uh, we were actually at Roanoke when they left with it, and we've been to Spencer to see while it was being restored, too. I love trains. I've loved them since I was 
young, little, you know, and so this is really it. The dream and the labor and the money brought the restored locomotive back to Roanoke in 2015. Fitzpatrick said local tourism officials credited the 611 excursions with bringing $7 million to the Roanoke Valley in just four weekends. But complications would follow. Three months after I retired in the Norfolk and Western, I mean, Norfolk Southern said, you can't run it on our tracks anymore. That was devastating. And the museum is, is having a challenge today because they cannot use it on Norfolk and West or Norfolk Southern or CSX tracks. The, the major railroads won't, don't want it to run on their tracks. Fitzpatrick said with leadership changes at the railroad came changes in attitude about the steam program. And 611 is not a train you can just put on any track, as Scott Lindsay explains. The weight, the length, the rigid wheelbase of the drive wheels up there, you have four axles with 70-inch wheels. It's a long, pretty rigid wheelbase, and it can only go around certain curves. It struggles getting in and out of here, this museum up by the fence. So just because they're tracked doesn't mean that we can do it. The weight, the curve, uh, you know, bridges, what kind of bridge support, all this stuff all goes into the can we do it or not. And there's a lot of places that would be great to go, and there's opportunity out there. We're just too big. Crop dusting with a 747. Lindsay says they're at the mercy of the rail companies as to when and where they can run on their tracks, and that costs money. The relationship with the railroad, according to Lindsay and Fitzpatrick, is good, but different than it once was. It means they can't just pick up and go wherever they'd like the 611 to go. The first thing that everyone's got to realize, all right, is the railroads here in this country are private enterprise. Lettenberger has noticed this shift in approach as well. If steam was the in technology these days for transportation, he says we wouldn't have the same desires or the same problems with getting around. And as it stands, rail plays a different role in our lives compared to the 611's early days. Trains have become that annoyance that, you know, holds you up on your way to work when you're 10 minutes late already. <laughs> Okay, I don't get to go get my coffee this morning. I got to drink the bad stuff out of the machine in the office because the train held me up. So people don't fully understand this is a business. Railroading is a business. And to do these extra fun things like run a steam locomotive, especially run a big one like 611, Man, there's the hoops that you that you got to go through to organize and and make it happen. Are are there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Um, and when people just you know sit there and say, "Oh, I, geez, why don't they just run that some more?" Okay, it's not just snapping your fingers, all right. So that's why when the Virginia Museum of Transportation and Virginia Scenic Railways announced 611 would be running excursions again in the fall of 2023, it was a big deal. Such a big deal, in fact, that Steve Powell had to hire extra employees just to answer all the phone calls from fans demanding tickets. Attention, please. Hey, I'm Steve Powell. Um, I'm the president of the railroad, and this is my wife, Penny. We are so happy that y'all are here. By the way, there's there's some other really important people at the railroad here that y'all can get to know. On board the train for the test excursion, Powell, who is president of the Buckingham Branch Railroad, greets the passengers on board. 
Powell is also on the Virginia Railroad Association Executive Committee and leads Virginia Scenic Railways. With the collaboration of these partners, the 611 once again found a track it can run on. Just think, this is, this is just a day of fun, okay? This is gonna be the only speech you hear, and it's a speech about, hey, y'all have a good time here. Uh, we got snacks, we got drinks, self-service. Buckingham Branch CEO, Mark Bryant, is seated at the table next to me. It's nice to see the interest in railroading, you know, and, and of course in this specific train, we have a steam train that attracts a lot of, a, a lot of attention, a lot of romance, you know, with the steam trains. But it also uh, reflects an interest uh, just in railroading in general, which we think is very healthy. His sister, Lois Bryant-Frank, who is on the board of the railroad, says their father, who died in 2022, would have been overjoyed to see the 611 running on their track. So we're happy to all be together to celebrate all these people that brought all this together. And that's what trains are about, people coming together. Many of the cars being pulled by the 611 on this trip are refurbished from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, one of which was actually pulled by the 611 in the 50s. Another serves as an Airbnb lodging when it's not behind an engine. Robert Van Camp owns the car I've boarded. He's the producer of an Emmy award-winning show called Great Scenic Railway Journeys that airs on public television. This car includes the double-decker seating, a kitchen, a middle seating section, and another sunken dining area facing a bar under the staircase. This is a 1948, and it's, it's a Pullman built, and uh, it, you know, it, it was a very luxurious car at the time, uh, but it went to Amtrak, and then it went to a private railroad on the West Coast, and then it went into a bankruptcy sale, and we picked it up in a bankruptcy really? sale, yeah. Van Camp restores cars and leases them out for excursions just like this, which he says are becoming increasingly popular as a novelty experience for generations of people who didn't grow up with the railroad in the same way our grandparents or great-grandparents might have. You're sitting in a time capsule. Think of how many people sat in these dining rooms from the 50s on you know, all the way through the 70s before it went to Amtrak. And uh, you just, you do, you're just sitting in history right now. That's, that's what's great about these cars. You're, you're in a time capsule, literally. The trip brought back plenty of memories for Lee Graves Jr. He started working for the railroad in 1968 as a chef. He cooked for the crews, usually at a wreck site, sometimes having to contend with a unique workspace. And there are times I've been on a grate that I put uh, pies or something in the oven and they would be one inch on one side and three inches on the other side because of the grate. That was challenging quite a bit. I found Graves sitting in another car swapping stories with his friends, all members of the Norfolk and Western and Norfolk Southern African American Heritage Group. Together, they preserved the experiences and stories of Black Railroad crew members, those who came before them, and those they worked alongside. Today, Graves and his friends are reminiscing on the joys and the challenges they shared on the job, including the move of the Norfolk Southern headquarters out of Roanoke. The move it to Norfolk, that was a little sickening when they moved the head office to Norfolk. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, it was a hard pill to swallow. So now they're in Atlanta, and it's just not what it used to be in the good old days because a lot of people uh, depended on the railroad, and the railroad built a lot of people's homes and uh, were able to afford stuff by working for the railroad. In this car and others, 
the past and the present blend together, and the ride becomes a journey to understand and appreciate them both. Well, just the travel and the camaraderie of, of fellow workers in this particular case, but just and, and just seeing the scenery and I mean, you just relax and enjoy. In the caboose is Bev Fitzpatrick, officials from Norfolk Southern and the president of Virginia's Tourism Corporation. Elsewhere on the train is Will Harris, the museum board president and owner of the land which houses the makeshift Goshen Station. This is a tour by and for the people and groups that have made the excursions possible. We make it to the station in Stanton for a quick stop while a diesel engine joins 611 to push her back home. On one of the cars, I find an official-looking man in a yellow vest, and I ask him, how far down the cars can I go? And in reply, he says, follow me. Zach McGinnis is one of the 611 crew members and excursion manager. One by one, he leads me through the cars, which showcase an impressive variety of styles. Some are typical coach cars, some have upper-level seating, some have showers, and others include pull-out beds. Eventually, we leave passengers behind and enter the mobile tool car located just behind the engine's tender. Here, the rest of the crew is enjoying the ride, made even more exciting with open bay doors. I just love it. It, it. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of behind the scenes, but when you get to see it run and see it bring joy to people, that's it, it's, it's the payoff. I do boiler work a lot on it, so that's probably the most labor intensive, uh, but a lot, a lot of the planning and logistics is up there as well with it. So you, do you actually get in the boiler? Yes, I have been in the boiler or firebox doing work like that before. In order for the 611 to run excursions like this one, it has to undergo regular maintenance, some of which is done on grueling hot summer days. Scott Lindsay says the engine is still regulated by the Federal Railroad Administration, or FRA. That regulatory process includes having to do a complete boiler check every 1,472 hours the engine is hot. We have to follow these guidelines. So you have the daily inspection, a 31-day, 62-day, 92, uh, and an annual inspection. Each one is more comprehensive than the prior one. A five-year, which is what we did last year at Strasburg, very comprehensive. And then every 15 years or 1,472 operating days to find as pressure above atmosphere and not wheels turning, we have to tear the boiler apart inside and out and do thickness readings uh, and recalculate the, uh, the safety of the boiler. And that costs money. In fact, it costs a lot of money, an undisclosed amount of money. And believe me, I asked. So that's why visitorship at the museum in Roanoke and endowments for the 611 are important, as is maintaining her celebrity status. We've had people come from all over the world. We've had people get married in front of it. We've had people that just wanted to see it one last time. Mendy Flynn is the current executive director of the Virginia Museum of Transportation. She says, without question, the museum sees a spike in ticket sales when 611 is in Roanoke, which happens when it's not out on loan or running excursions elsewhere. Um, it's nice to have it home for, for a visit. Um, while it's not here for a long time, it is nice to have it here briefly so that people 
local people can come in and and revisit um, or some of them for the first time. But I think I think the key is is having future places for it to run. It's why the museum's gift shop and website is chock full of 611 merch for sale. You've got socks, Christmas ornaments, playing cards, even belt buckles. It's also why the 611 offers in-cab experiences for top dollar. In between excursions at Victoria Station and Goshen, engineers let the 611's biggest fans join them in the cab and run it and the tender back and forth up a short range of track. If it wasn't on my bucket list, I had to make a new bucket list to put it on it. When else would I have a chance to do this? In the cab, engineers walk participants through the buttons, knobs, and levers they need to operate. They also open the small door to the cavernous boiler to check on the burning coal. James Helwig came all the way from Alexandria for his chance at the throttle for just 30 minutes or so. He shook hands with engineers as he disembarked, saying the experience left him euphoric. I was expecting a 10 and I got a 100. Will Harris, who owns this land, was on hand to watch the fun with his family. And it's been a, an icon for me for all my life. So I've enjoyed it very much. And it's really a once in a lifetime experience to have an opportunity to work with it and be a part of it in, in, in today's world. It's one of those, if you build it, they will come type things. Bev Fitzpatrick says the 611's reach and the intensity of that reach can be hard to define. Uh, and I've always tried to figure out exactly how that works because it's like their baby. They don't want you to hurt her. They want you to take care of it. They want you to watch it. They don't want to see it dirty. It's really, really fascinating. And Bob Lettenberger at Trains Magazine says the fervor among readers grows when they catch wind of locomotives in motion. They're planning, when can I see this? Where can I see it? I gotta go stake out my good photo location. You know, is it is it is it running under its own power? Is it going to be leading the train? I mean, all the the details, and folks want to know this, and they get they get just excited as all when these big locomotives move. For people like James Helwig, experiences like this one are a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, anything else you'd like to add? I came here to make my brother jealous. Do you think that mission was accomplished? Uh, I'm quite certain, 150%. And it, it's just very near and dear to our hearts here at the museum, um, knowing the history and with our mission being to preserve, protect and promote Virginia's history, um, it, it's critical in that purpose. pretty cool. I come from a railroading family. Uh, my grandfather was a steam railroader, so I've kind of grown up at all, around it all my life. And it's just, it's it's history. I'm a history nerd. So it's, uh, it's just pretty cool to work on and try to spread the, the history with it. When Zach McGinnis says he loves this work, he really means it. He's got the 611 tattooed on his forearm. Yeah, that's the Class J, which what is what it is, the drivers, the wheels, and then the builder's plate of the locomotive. And cultivating this admiration and appreciation for the machine is what its biggest proponents say is vital for its future. 
why to you is it important to preserve that technology and that knowledge? It's real hands-on and today everything is computer, computer. There was no computers when 611 and the other steam locomotives that are still with us and scrapped, not a computer in anywhere. And it's a, it's a dying art. It was all done with experience, thinking, and pen and paper. There's no reason why 611 can't be running 100 years from now, as long as there's the people and the disciplines that are taught are passed down to be able to maintain it 100 years from now. And Scott Lindsay says some of the 611's biggest support comes from some of her youngest fans. Little kids, there's a huge following of the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. I have grandboys of that age, and they, I mean, they want to know something about 611. They've got the answer. But in the last, this latest round since 2015, when we started operating it again, huge following from the autistic community and try to be very supportive of that. Their interests are wide and varying. Some like the whistle, some don't. Some want to be up close and right with it. Others are there as long as it's a safe space distance for them. But we try to make sure that we, we take care of that interest. I think that's that's very important in, in uh, keeping 611 in, in operation and ex expanding on the, uh, the fan base. As if on cue, Lindsay and I meet one of those young fans gazing up at the 611 while we approach the train in the museum's yard. What are the components of the front end and then what, what do we have going on in the back end? Okay, this, sure. end, this front is called the smoke box up here. She said sheer amazingness. Oh. Hey, <laughs> where, are you, where are you guys from? We're from Powhatan. Oh, okay. Here we meet Jennifer, who came with her husband James and seven-year-old son Liam from Powhatan, Virginia, just to see the 611. She says Liam is a super fan. We have driven to North Carolina to see her. We got to feed her with coal, um, and he got to pull the whistle. He's been waiting for weeks to come down here. He even had to put on his favorite shirt oh, so nice that he shirt. could come down and see this. And um, yeah, so he, he loves this. Liam is sporting a 611 t-shirt and proved very authoritative on the subject of his favorite train. Liam, can I ask you, what to you is like the coolest thing about the 611? What's like your favorite part of it? Well, um, it's just um, all um, the, um, it's just the whistle, the bell, and just, just, just the sound of her go. It's just a miracle. How would you, can you, can you like, how does it sound? Can you make the sound of like what it sounds like when the whistle blows and the steam goes? Do it, do it again. Like a, like a grunt, like deep like that. What about the whistle? Oh, okay. Okay. So it's got kind of like a little tone to it. What is it that you would like to let people know about the 611 so that they can enjoy it as much as you do? So when I grow up, I'm actually going to run it for excursion runs. That's so cool. Have you been in the cabin? Of course. Our son is autistic, and so these trains and everything, he's a sensory kid, so the vibration of the trains, feeling that, feeling the horns, like even though he covers his ears, the being able to feel the power that's in these engines um, is just such a wonderful feedback for him. But on top of that, the there's a large autistic community that follows trains because of those reasons. Um, but even bigger than that is the rail community. The rail community is so accepting of these kids. 
how many places does a big piece of metal touch people's lives like 611? That's always been a phenomenal thing to me. Fitzpatrick says the 611 is the museum's biggest gift, and he sees it as a key to the entire museum's success. That's why engaging the youth is paramount. Bob Lettenberger agrees. Most of the old steam heads, if you will, most of the people that actually operated these things, okay, let's, no other kind way to say it, but they're dying off. And when you look at some of these crews now, um, there is an incredible youth movement. When I started this back a long time ago, I was the young guy and worked with a lot of the old guys who retired from doing this kind of thing for a living back in the steam day. I got to learn a lot from them. One of them was actually a Norfolk and Western man from East End Shops, Paul Hausman. They called him Pappy. And Pappy Hausman was, I mean, I still miss Pappy every day. And there are times where a certain problem presents itself. And I think, oh my gosh, if he was, I'd like five more minutes with him. Keeping people interested enough and trained enough to be able to do some of these mechanical things that have to be done that you can't learn five Saturdays a year. It's a deep end of the pool every day. Learn it, learn it, learn it. And don't let don't let anybody kid you. Yeah, it's just a machine, but they've got personalities. And you gotta know your steam locomotive and each one is just a little bit different and a little bit finicky. Lettenberger believes the future of steam restoration programs is bright, but not without challenges. The owners will need to maintain good relationships with major railroads. They'll need people and communities, those young folks, to be engaged. They'll need to plan where to house and where to run it. And perhaps most importantly, find a way to pay for it. Yeah, steam restorations are gonna be around. We're gonna have these things. There's going to be some some disappointments and there's going to be some challenges to get them down the tracks, but they're going to be there. They're going to be there. The 611 was an engine that could, and it still can. She's earned her iconic status, not just for the way she moves people, but for the way people are moved. It's a hearkening back to a different time and the heralding of a new one. It's so special and it's an icon and, and anybody that knows that, wants to see it succeed. And we've got to try everything we can in every way we can um, to get it back out there so the public can appreciate it, enjoy it, and the region can benefit from it. After several weekends of excursions this fall, the 611 completed 30 trips, pulling around 20,000 passengers, some of whom came from as far away as Europe, Africa, and Australia. Ticket sales climbed close to $3 million. The youngest person to ride was just eight weeks old. Another rider celebrated his 105th birthday during an excursion. After several busy weekends, the museum logged 540 tons of coal used, 120 volunteers, 25 crew members, and one very special wedding proposal.
Roanoke Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was written and produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Roquelmi. We'll see you next time. <laughs>